You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. So shibboleth, in case you didn't catch that earlier, is a peculiarity of speech or behavior that sets one apart as an outsider. Shibboleth is the name of our youth group, if you're wondering why we were talking about that. That's the name of our youth group, because we think that there should be something different, something peculiar about us as Christians that sets us apart, that we are outsiders, that we have the love of God. We really think that's the number one thing that should set us apart. It says, you know, you'll know them by their love. All right. I've had a busy weekend. I don't know about you guys, but but t- today I want to I'm going to preach on something that that definitely means a lot to me in the midst of the chaos of everything that's, that's been going on. Which you know it's not really chaos; it's organized, I guess, organized chaos. But uh, but there's kind of three things that I've found foundational to the ministry that I do as a youth pastor, and they've all kind of come to me over the last few years that I didn't really have this foundation early on in my, in my youth ministry, but, but those three things are, uh, a lot of you have heard Curtis Coker's teaching on spirit, soul, and body that really changed the way I read the Bible, uh, the power of right believing, the fact that, that what you believe is going to affect the way you live, and the third thing, and this is what I'm actually going to preach on the most today, and all three of these really interact and intersect with each other, but, but the third thing is just the power of rest, of rest. And I'm going to talk about that today because it's been something that's been echoing in my mind and it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing because, you know, getting ready for today when we're going to be, we were going to be doing Youth Sunday, I found my weekend was full of everything to stop me from getting ready. You know, I had, I had work, I had kids' soccer games, I had, uh, you know, Casey's grand opening. Where's Casey at? Is he not in here? I don't even see him. Oh, he's back in the back. Awesome grand opening of Antediluvian on Main Street. If you guys, you know, haven't been to the store, check it out. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a crazy weekend, and I'd kind of put off most of my actual preparation until the last minute, and I had a job that I was doing uh, that should have been done early in the afternoon yesterday. It was running hours late, and I was just getting so frustrated and, and worried, and like, I, I got to have time to, you know, prepare for Youth Sunday. So. And uh, it's amazing the stress and the, the chaos that builds up inside of you when God has called us to rest. And to find peace in that. And I remember working on my house. We were building on a little addition on our house. And I was up in the attic. Little tiny, if, I mean, not, not like a big spacious attic. Not, not like the kind where, it, you know, it's, it's cramped, but at least there's a lot of room to get, move around. And it's the kind where, where everything is triangles all over the place. And you're like crawling through holes. And you're like, you know, insulation all over the place. And, and so dark, hot. And I'm just stuck up there for like, a, you know, an hour or two running wires and pipe and stuff like that. And I'm cramped in this little spot, and there was just this moment where I kind of stopped and thought, right now, in this place, I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. And it, it, was, it really sealed it when I was, later after doing that, after being, at, being working on the house, going to work, and being half asleep at work, and like my head on my desk because I wasn't busy at the moment, and just kind of dozing off, and I saw myself, once again, in that attic, in that tight, dark space, and I saw 
this white light just in the ceiling, you know, just coming through, just a little hole and looking through it. And it was like God was just calling me, you know, come up here. And it, and it wasn't just like a physical thing. It's like God wants you that when whatever's going on out here, we are seated in the heavenly place with Christ. He wants us to set our mind there, to set our, to set our hearts on things above. So we're going to read right now from Hebrews chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can ch- turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. That was Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Starting at verse 2, it says, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now there he's talking about the, the Jews that were about to go into the promised land and didn't believe, didn't believe that God could give them the promised land, that they, in unbelief, you know, rejected God's plan and spent 40 years in the desert, died in the desert. But he says, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his works, God's works, have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the, that's pretty nice. I like that, that, that here he's saying somewhere he's spoken because, you know, how many of you guys know, you know, you know the Bible says, but you're like, I, I don't know where, somewhere, somewhere he's spoken. <laughs> that's, even, even these guys did it. All right. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest has also rested from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. All right. So Sabbath rest. This is, you know, before before kind of getting freed from a lot, a lot of the legalism anyway i remember having a lot of arguments with people over over the sabbath day you know whether we should have church on sunday or whether we should have church on saturday whether we should still completely rest not do anything not cook on saturday and you know you know if you really want to get into it people who just celebrate you know do church on saturday they're not really doing it they got to they got to make sure friday night that they're not even doing anything they got to they got to stop by sunset on friday and and just relax no more work then cut off the overtime and and then saturday night they're okay right and so, but the Sabbath was preparing us for something. Before, before the Sabbath was even a law, it was a principle that God built into creation, that God did everything that was necessary, and he stopped. He rest. He rested on the seventh day. Before it was a law, it was, it was a principle. It was something that, that God had put in motion, this thing of rest, that God completed his work and rested. And now God's rest was not just 
a one day a week thing as we kind of think of the Sabbath because the Sabbath is like, okay, you take one day rest and then the next day you're back at work. You know, you're the day before you're working really hard to make sure that you can rest and then the next day you're back at work again. But it says in Hebrews, let me go back here for just a second. It says in verse three, yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. It's not he finished them and he started again. His works have been finished since the creation of the world. That is the rest that God has called us to, is, is a permanent rest. It's not a momentary rest and get back. That's kind of the way a lot of people look at salvation. It's like this moment where you give everything to God, God takes care of it all, and then uh, you left the altar. Now go live perfectly, because if you don't, you're going to hell. That's our, that's our you know, normal one-day rest in churches. You're in church, everything's better, now you better be better, or else. But it says that he has been resting, that he, that he finished his works since the creation of the world. And it says, let us be eager. That's actually what it says there where it says, uh, let us, let me see if I can find it. Make every effort. Another translation would say, let us be eager. It would probably be a little more clear than let's work really hard to rest. But he's saying, let's be eager. Let's, let's, be, let's do everything we can to just, let's get there. Let's be excited about resting. Let's be eager to stop, and that's what it says, Stop all of our labor, just as God stopped his. Let us be eager to enter that. So what is a Jesus kind of rest? You know, I mean, people tend to look at Jesus as like a hippie. I think it's just because, you know, we have all these pictures of him with long hair and sandals, and, and he talks about peace and stuff a lot. But I, I don't think Jesus was a hippie, okay? It was a, it was a different kind of peace. It was, it was a different kind of love than the hippies. But, but his peace was pretty intense, that, that Jesus... When he's in a storm with the disciples, they're all, they're all on a boat, you know, they're used to storms, but this storm was bad. They were freaking out. Water was coming in over the sides, the boat was shaking, probably moaning, groaning, they're thinking, you know, is it going to flip? Is it going to break? What's going to happen here? Are we going to be thrown out? And Jesus is asleep. He is asleep. In, in his storm, in this storm that is potentially putting his life in deadly, deadly danger, he is asleep in the bottom of the boat. That's a Jesus kind of rest. And, when, and it, in, in, in kind of a hippie fashion, you know, they wake him up and he comes out and he says, peace, be still. I'm going back to bed. You know, <laughs> like, all right. But he, so, he, so he goes, you know, he was resting. He wasn't worried about it. Even though I come up, he's like, okay, for your sakes, peace, be still. I'll stop the storm, you know. He teaches the disciples, you know, uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about not worrying about tomorrow, not worrying about what tomorrow is going to bring, not worrying about if you're going to have enough. He says, you know, the lilies of the field, they don't labor, they don't have to work, they don't have to do anything to get to be clothed as beautifully as they are. He says the sparrows, you know, they, they don't have savings accounts, nothing wrong with savings account, but, but it shouldn't be for worry or fear. Okay, it should be wisdom, not, not a fear thing. But he says, you know, the sparrows, they don't, have to, they don't have to do anything. I feed them. I make sure there's food for them. Are you not more important than them? So he, it's once again this rest of, yeah, you're used to worrying about everything. You're wor- used, to, used to always preparing for the worst. But you know what? I'm going to take care of you. And then they come to the, the 5,000 and the 4,000 that there wasn't enough food. And the disciples are freaking out. They're They're hungry. Their guts get into them, and he's just, they're, they're, you know, Jesus, you got to send these people away. We can't, you know, we can't feed them. It's dinner time. We're hungry. You've been preaching for a long, long time now. We're a little tired. And uh, Jesus, in this moment where physically there is just 
not enough. Jesus miraculously is able to feed 5,000 men, not to mention probably women and children in addition to that. That is, and it is restful. It's not like he gets, not like he's like, all right, give me my apron, you know, a spatula. I'm going to go in the kitchen. I'm going to cook for these 5,000 people. You know, he's not like, let's have a quick fundraiser. Let's make sure we can get enough money and then we'll go, we'll go to the store and buy it, bring it back. He just, okay, you know what? Let me just start passing this stuff out. You know, I mean, here we go. Here's some food. Start breaking bread. And he takes care of them in this restful, peaceful thing. He's not, he's not worried about it. He's not having to work hard. He just blessed food. Go. All right. And in every storm and trial in your life, you can relax and trust God. And that is a million times harder to do than to say. I know it. I know it. Because I say it all the time, and then stuff comes up, and we're, how do I take care of this? How do I take care of it? And that's why sometimes I almost think maybe I go too far with the idea of rest, but, but if I do, it's only in word. I haven't gotten there yet in speech, so give me a minute for my, for my life to catch up to that. that. That in every moment where it's so hard to trust God and we think we've got to take care of everything, let's begin to rely on God. Let's give God a chance to take care of us like he wants to. Once again, Adam and Eve, right? God created everything, and on the seventh day, he rested. The food was there for them. He planted the garden. They picked the fruit. All right. In Matthew 16, verse 5, this is, I think, right after the 5,000. Right after the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew 16, 5. It says, When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. In verse 6, Be careful, Jesus said to them, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. And they discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. (laughs) Yeah, they're always thinking about their stomachs for real. But aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered. How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I see in here something very, very uh near to me, that uh, our tendency to make everything about us and about our mistakes. That Jesus is trying to teach them here, kind of casually, just throws out a little sentence, but immediately they think, we messed up. We messed up. We forgot the bread. How many of you guys have ever been in a church service and the pastor is preaching and you're pretty sure that even though he may not, you know, he's just, maybe he's pointing around, but you're pretty sure he's pointing at you because you're like, he's taught, I know you guys have been there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you feel like the pastor's like preaching, preaching at you, preaching against you, or, or for me, it's like when a prophet came when I was a teenager, I'd always be like, oh gosh, you know, like, don't, don't, you know, don't see me, don't, don't call, or actually, I'd kind of be like hiding, but hoping they would, but I'd be like, I, I, the whole time, I wasn't thinking of God, you know, encouraging me, I was thinking of, of God calling out my sin, calling out all these terrible things that I've done, you know, I was, I was, I was scared, I was tortured by, by all this stuff, and, and you know, while God's doing something good, all we're thinking about is the negative stuff in our own lives. So here the disciples are thinking that Jesus is complaining because he's hungry and they forgot bread. 
And he says, no, don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? I took care of that. Not you. I took care of it. There wasn't enough physically. I took care of it. Okay, so you forgot about the food. You messed up. But I can feed you from nothing. You don't have to rely on your works. Now, as a youth pastor, it's easy for me to experience, you know, the elation of just feeling like I did a great job in one night, and then in that same night, feel like a, feel like an utter failure. I think it's probably not just a youth pastor. I think it's all ministry. You're just like, maybe you're feeling really good, and then just like something happens. You're just like, wow, I am, I am just a total failure. You know, everything that you thought was successful, you're just like out the door. You're like, wow, maybe this is just all for nothing. You know, maybe I'm not called by God. Maybe I'm not being used by God. You start questioning all this stuff. But God wants us to find our identity in him, not in our successes, not in our failures. And, uh, you know, some, some of that pressure. One day I was getting ready for youth service on Wednesday, and I usually prepare those on Wednesdays during the day. I spend most of my day up here at the church, and a lot of times I'll walk around out here in this little arena out here, just walk around in the dirt, mess up my shoes, and uh, climb on the fence, whatever. I'm kind of, I'm kind of weird. I just got to get around it. You were talking about meditating, Dylan. That's, that's really how I do half of my, you know, preparation is I'm just like, I got to think for a long time. I'm, you know, I, I'll read the Bible, I'll listen, you know, but then I, I just got to get away from everything for a minute and just, just get with God and let God speak. But I was uh, feeling this huge pressure that day, trying to prepare my sermon, like just nothing was coming to me. And I was having so much trouble just, just thinking about it. I was thinking, I am not a preacher, you know, and I still think this sometimes. I'm just, I'm, it's not really my passion is preaching per se. Ministry, yeah, but, but preaching is not necessarily my, my strong suit. So I was preparing the sermon and I just couldn't get anywhere and I was feeling, feeling down, feeling, you know, feeling all this pressure. I, it's, hard, it's hard to explain, but it was, it's just this extreme negative thing of you can't do it. You're not good enough. You know, you and as I, was, as I was doing that, this verse came to me. I don't remember if I was actually reading my Bible on my phone or if it just came to me. But this verse where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees. And I was thinking about that. The yeast of the Pharisees. And yeast makes things grow. It makes things rise. Right? You mix it in with the flour and it grows. And how many times have you heard about growth in church, you know? That, that you got to get better. You got to grow up. You got to mature. You need, you need to improve. And in fact, so many churches, really all it's about is self-improvement to a certain standard. It's about becoming better. It's about moving up. It's about being more like God on the outside. I don't know, I don't know how, how you plan on doing that. Good luck. But uh, it's all about this growth, And God spoke to me in that moment, and he told me, well, you know, I think it's God. It's stuck with me ever since, so I think it's more than me. He told me, you don't have to change the world. And it was kind of like a little relief there. You don't have to preach a good sermon. Some of you guys are thinking, you better. (laughs) You know, like, my kids are going to the youth group. I'm like, but... Yeah, I mean, if I if I just preach terrible all the time and, and just get lazy with my job, yeah, I'll get fired. But uh, but it's not going to affect my stance with God. And as this weight off my shoulders, I thought, man, you know what? 
if if I can't, you know, come up with something amazing for tonight, I'm okay with God. God loves me. I am approved. It's not all about that growth. That growth that starts on the outside, that you're trying really hard to grow, that you're trying really hard to get better. The leaven of the Pharisees is all about growth. It was their teaching. He said, literally, is there is the leaven of the Pharisees? He's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. He's talking about all their rules and regulations and do this and do that, do this this way, don't do this on this day. And he's saying, you know, all these things that are supposed to make you better, supposed to make the Jews better, supposed to make them so righteous that finally the Messiah is going to come because of how good they are. That they could get better, that they could grow. Guys, it's not about your growth on the outside. God is doing something on the inside. So God still wants growth, though. So, Koi, can you play that video for me, man? Real quick. Turn up the volume. Listen, Junior, you caught me and my friend here in a good mood today, so I'm going to let you off with a warning. Step aside and you won't have to feel the awesome wrath of our mustaches. You mean these? I thought you still had a piece of salad stuck to your lip from lunchtime. <gasps> they were fake? Of course they were fake! This is what a real mustache looks like. <laughs> I'll explain this in a second. <laughs> John 15:5 says, "I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." God does want growth, but it's something natural. You know, I don't have a lot of facial hair, but I have found that I cannot flex hard enough to make it come out. Just, I cannot just, I can't just like massage it and it just starts, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I, I don't have his power there. A branch does not have the power to just make itself grow. It can't just think and try really hard and that branch is going to grow. It's a natural part of being a part of the tree of being part of the vine. It's something that happens naturally because it's connected. Because it's connected, it is going to grow. John 15, 5 says, if you remain in me, if you remain, that's, that's, you talk about works, that's, that's it. He says, if you remain in me, if you are in me, then you will bear much fruit. There's no, if you try really hard and you're in me, you do this, 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 and this, and this, then you'll bear much fruit. If you are in me, you are going to bear fruit. There's no two ways about it. You know, it, he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees, but he also compares the kingdom of God to yeast. Uh, that's in Matthew 13, 33. We don't need to read it. But he talks about the kingdom of God being like a woman who mixed yeast into a ton of flour until it was mixed through every bit of it. Now, if you read the little parable right before it, it talks about a man sowing seed in a field and the kingdom of God being like that. Now, I'm telling you, we can tell from that comparison, from the, from the man sowing seed in the field, which we've also heard the other story of the man sowing seed in the field, and it says that the seed is the word of God, right? 
the woman is God. The woman in the story of the yeast is God. The yeast is the word, and we are the flower. The flower doesn't get the yeast in it. The flower doesn't try really hard to grow. God. God is mixing in his word. God is mixing in his spirit. God is, God is working in us. And through that, we are going to grow. See, God wants growth, but it's something natural. Natural because you have a new nature. The Bible says that you are a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. You have a new nature, and natural is what happens until it's acted on by an unnatural force, right? The tree's going to grow until, until, you know, you start trimming it. Your hair is going to grow long until you cut it with some scissors, right? That you're, you're, gonna have, you're all going to have crazy long hippie hair unless you get it cut every now and then. That is natural. That is what's going to happen. But what happens is we try to do unnatural things on the outside to fix our nature because we don't realize that God has already made our nature new. And so we try to do things to make ourselves better on the inside. We do things on the outside with the old date. This is still flesh. God hasn't made this flesh new yet. We try to do things out here to make us ourselves better on the inside when God has already done that. We're just interfering with the nature that God has for us, that God, God has given us this nature that will bring growth, and we're just, we're just interfering with our works. So as God was speaking to me about this that one, that one Wednesday, this was a long time ago. This was like a year. And honestly, I'd say that this revelation probably changed my life. It changed the way I preach a lot. made it a lot easier on me. But, uh, but if you can just rest and not do anything, let's face it. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you all to become stoners and sit on your couch all day, okay? If you sit on your couch all day, every day, never get up, never move, you will die. That is what will happen. You cannot just do nothing and die. So, but God says to, to cease from all of your works. So, but if, you do, if I do nothing, I'm going to die, God, you know? So, okay, I think we can, we can assume that God doesn't want you to just do nothing. So, but yet he wants us to cease from our works. God uses the desires of your heart. See, what I said, remember what I said, we try to do things that are unnatural, we try to force things out of ourselves that are not there to try to make ourselves better. But God wants to use the desires of our heart because he says he gave us the desires of our heart. He gives us the desires of our heart. Now, whether you think that means that he literally gives us specific desires or whether he fulfills those desires, either way, that means he is for those desires. He is pro those desires. He likes them. Okay, God gives us the desires of our hearts. So with the disciples, how did this look? Peter runs into a little problem. It's tax time. We just got past that. And maybe like some of you, Peter's taxes weren't looking so great. He owed some. He needed some money to pay for the tax. So what does Jesus tell him to do? He tells him to go fishing. Peter is a fisherman. That's what he likes to do. When Peter gets stressed out, when bad things happen, later, you know, after Jesus dies, what's natural for Peter to do? He goes fishing. That's just what he does. How many of you guys, that's what's natural for you is to go fishing? How about, how about golf? Yeah, I know some golfers in here. All right. He goes fishing. 
gets a fish, and inside the fish's mouth is the money he needs to pay the tax. He had a problem, and God used his desire, his, his natural inclinations to, to fix that problem, to get him through it. I mean, I, I would love that if, if for every problem that comes to me in my life, I could just go and play guitar. All right, yeah, that'll fix it. That'll be good. Yeah, yeah, or what if I could just go, you know, get on the computer for a little while? I'm a, I'm a computer guy. Oh, wait, God is using that in my life because that's actually kind of what I do for a business now is I work on computers. Hey, Casey, does God use the desire of your hearts? Does God, has God been, is that what you've been doing now in your ministry and in work? That now you're opening up the store of your dreams? That you're leading worship at a church? That, by the way, these are our worship pastors in the back, Casey and Parrish. If, you know, this was the youth band today, that's, that's not normal. This Casey and Parrish, they're, they're where it's at. But wow, when you, when you surrender to God, God really does use what's in your heart. He doesn't, he's not trying to force unnatural things out of you. He has things that are in there. They're in there for a reason, and God wants to use them in every situation. That's what God has for you. And then, okay, well, it's a little bit harder in a minute where, you know, Jesus dies, raises from the dead. He comes to the disciples before he leaves, and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, that sounds like a pretty hefty work to me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation? It's pretty intense. It's pretty scary. I wouldn't, I don't necessarily want to get that, that command exactly. I, I like it. I like it here in Durant. You know, I'll go to Dallas, sure. But, uh, I don't, I don't feel like going everywhere in the world right now. I don't feel like getting on a plane at this moment. Actually, I wouldn't mind for, for a little bit. But, but let me tell you something. That was what was in those disciples' heart. They had left everything for that reason. Jesus said, follow me, and they got excited. They wanted to follow him. They were disciples because they wanted to be like him. They wanted to learn to do what he did. They wanted, they wanted the ability to go and preach. They, that was what was in their hearts. God wasn't commanding them something that was crazy nonsense that they're like, we don't know what we're doing. No, they've been training for it. They've given up everything for it. It's what they wanted. And now it's not what's in all of your hearts. Some of you have a heart for art. By the way, this art up here is all from the youth group. They just did this on Wednesday. We had, had a little painting night. But some of you have, have a heart for art. Go. Go do art. God wants to use that if that's what's in your heart. That's a rhyme. That's nice. That's not, that was accidental. Uh, some of you have a heart for business, right? Go. Start a business. Do it. Be an entrepreneur. Go use what God has put, you in, put in your heart. Go use it. Now, Jesus' go statement was empowering to them. It was empowering. It's like, it's like for me, going shopping for clothes. I go by myself, and I, you know, I might buy a t-shirt or something. But, the, but, uh, so as you know, I always wear just jeans, blue jeans, sometimes maybe black jeans. My wife goes to the store with me the other day and holds up these pants that I'm wearing right now. And I'm like, uh, those are green. <laughs> like, and I look at them a little more. It says, it says skinny. Where are the baggy ones, Whitney? Go try them on, Israel. You know what? Her encouraging me to do it was empowering that, hey, you can do something a little bit more, a little bit different than what you thought. And I'm not trying to point out my pants or anything. The point is, the point is that, uh, that when you, and there's, there's bigger situations, but stuff I can't even talk about right now, of, of stuff that God's doing where, where God is empowering. And, and when he tells the disciples, go into all the world, it's like he's giving them his approval for one thing, because, you know, they were just following him. They were, they were doing what he was doing. They were helping out. But now he's saying, you, go. 
You can do it now. You're on your own. You go. And he actually doesn't say you're on your own. In Matthew 28, 18, it's Matthew 28, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, under my authority, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in the same, the same story, a little bit different, in Mark 16, 15, he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not will be condemned. And all of these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. That is empowering. That Jesus isn't just saying, good luck, guys. He said, I am with you always. He said, you can go heal the sick now. You can go cast out demons. If anybody tries to hurt you, guess what? You got my protection. If they poison you, don't worry about it. If a snake bites you, Paul, just shake it off. And he does. He tells them that he's with them all. It's, it's this empowering statement to do what was in their hearts. He didn't tell the disciples just go into Jerusalem either. He tells them to go into all the world. With what's in your heart, God wants you to do something big. God wants you to dream big. He wants you to dream outside the box. He wants you to set goals that you can look back and say, wow, I accomplished that. I did that. But he wants you to do it with what is in you. And that's the kind of rest that you're not having to worry. You're not having to, to try to make everything happen of your own, of your own will, of your own works, of your own force, that God is accomplishing it through you. God is accomplishing great things through you. Guys, if, if you are in Christ, you will bear fruit. That's why I tell our youth that a lot of times they don't realize what God's doing in their life. They may think God's not doing anything in their life. I do not believe that. If you have God in you, God is doing something in your life. God is doing something great in your life. You may not be aware of it. You may not be paying attention to it. You may not be noticing it. But God is working in you. He's done everything. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he died on preparation day. Preparation day was when they prepared for the Sabbath because they weren't going to be able to do anything all day the next day. They needed to get everything ready. They needed to get the food ready so that they wouldn't have to cook on the Sabbath day. So he did everything necessary and then rested. Jesus did everything necessary for you to rest from your works. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's not even about what you're going to do. It is about Jesus. It is about his work, that he is working in the yeast of the word, and the yeast of the spirit into your life. And he is bringing growth. He is bringing fruit. He is fulfilling the desires of your heart and making those things an effect in this world. God's work is so good, guys. You cannot, you cannot go too far in the rest of God. I challenge you to try it. Like I said, don't just sit on your couch, but, but listen. Just relax. Next time you feel stressed, take a moment and remind yourself, I'm in heavenly places with Christ right now. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. 
Next time you feel like an absolute failure spiritually, morally, stop. Stop doing and think. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. God has accomplished everything through me. He has justified me. He has redeemed me. He has made me good. I am a child of God. He cares about me. He loves me. He has forgiven me. I want you guys to close your eyes for a minute and consider this just a moment of practice. I'm going to set this mic down, and for a minute, I just want you guys to be silent and just listen to God. Just rest. Don't, you don't need to try to do anything to hear him, okay? You don't need to do anything. Just, just relax for a minute. Just find rest in our Father right now. you probably are like me after just a few seconds of that you find why it says make every effort to enter into his rest because <laughs> it's hard sometimes to just stop to just be silent to just let God do something but guys be eager for it because in that rest not in your works but in his works resting in his works there's fulfillment for all of your needs there's solutions to all of your problems there's forgiveness there is empowerment, and God is speaking. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you about your dreams, about your desires, about what's in your heart, and God is telling you, go. God is telling you where to go. God is telling you, God, God is encouraging you, letting you know that you can, that you can, because he is with you always, and it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ in me.